Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. Welcome back to our study of the resurrection of Jesus. The conversion of James, the brother of Jesus, is one of the more persuasive facts in favor of an actual historical resurrection. His transformation from a critic to a disciple to ultimately a martyr makes sense if James witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. James was not the only skeptic who converted. Paul, a rising star in the Jewish community and an early persecutor of the church, claimed to have witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. His biography is another compelling facet of the case in favor of a resurrection. On our last program, we talked about one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, and that involves the testimony of his brother James. James and his other brothers were skeptics of Jesus from very early on in his ministry. But following the death and reported resurrection of Jesus, we see an incredible change take place. James is now numbered among the disciples, and we see James rise to prominence within the early church. All this hinges upon what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus appeared to James. What was it that changed James from a skeptic to a disciple? Well, it was the appearance of his brother. And I find this to be incredibly compelling evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. The next piece of evidence I'd like to look at is the conversion of Paul. Like the conversion of James, Paul's conversion is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. You know, it would be easy for the disciples, the early disciples, the the 12 that were most closely associated with Jesus, to pull off some sort of charade, to either be deceived themselves or deluded into believing that they had witnessed this event take place, or to conspire in order to deceive other people. But it would be very difficult for a conspiracy such as this to convince a skeptic like James and to convince someone who outright opposed Jesus Christ like Paul. So I find the conversion of Paul to be particularly compelling evidence. If we start in the first chapter of the book of Acts, we notice that it was necessary for the apostles to replace Judas, Judas Iscariot. Remember, he committed suicide following Jesus' betrayal. When he was arrested and and taken to trial and then convicted to die, Judas went out and hung himself. Well, it was necessary for him to be replaced. Peter, in the first chapter of Acts, says that this was prophesied in Scripture. And so they did so. What I think is particularly relevant to our discussion this morning is to notice the qualifications that are listed for the man who must replace Judas. Peter says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. It's that last statement that interests me. Peter says that Judas' replacement must have been with them from the time of John's baptism 
all the way until his ascension. But he highlights what is the most important quality that this man must possess, and that is he needs to be a witness of Jesus' resurrection. This was one of the primary functions of the apostles. They were to be Jesus' witnesses to the entire world, and not just of his message, but of the fact that he had risen from the dead. So keep this in mind, and let's begin looking at the life of this man that we know as Paul, but early on we come to know him as Saul. We see in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, that Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the early deacons in the church, and his ability to reason and to argue in favor of Christ being the Messiah landed him in a bit of trouble, and he ends up being stoned for blasphemy in Acts chapter 7. And present at that stoning was this man Saul. In fact, the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen were laid at Saul's feet. I think we could say at the very least that Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. In the very next chapter of Acts, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see Saul spearheading the first major persecution of the church. In verse number 3, Luke tells us that Saul began to destroy the church, and that was his intent. Later on, after Saul was converted and became a disciple of Jesus, he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. It's the same thing he says to Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 9. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This was Saul before he became a Christian. He set himself in opposition to the Christian faith. It was his intent to destroy Christianity. And this should not be overlooked. Because like the skeptic James, Saul had very little incentive for believing in Jesus in fact, we can say that Saul was very much a rising star in the Jewish community. Back in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many, of, many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In other words, he was outstripping his peers. He was outgaining them. Saul was a rising star. He was like the cream rising to the top above his peers. This was a young man with a real future. Wealth, power, and prestige lay ahead of him. And he tells us a little bit more in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. This was a man who in every way was the quintessential young Jewish leader. He was going to have wealth and power and prestige. He didn't need to change religions in order to acquire that. 
All he needed to do was to continue on this path and he was going to exercise a position of influence in the Jewish community. This was no ordinary man. But something changed. Something changed one day when Saul was on his way to Damascus. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 5 that as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Luke tells us that a great light shone around Saul that day. And that Jesus identifies himself as appearing in that light. And we know that Jesus appeared to Saul within that light because of something that's said by Ananias later on in verse number 17. When Ananias comes to the house where Saul is staying in Damascus, he placed his hands on Saul and says this to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road to Damascus. This wasn't just some talking light that Saul experienced on that day. This was a, an appearance of Jesus Christ. And Saul confirms this for us over in Acts chapter 26, verses 15 and 16. As he's relating this story to Agrippa, he says, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. So just three days later, Ananias said to him, the Lord Jesus appeared to you. Saul, as he was recounting this encounter, says to Agrippa that Jesus himself says, I have appeared to you to appoint you to this duty, to appoint you to this work. Jesus appeared to Saul. On a number of different occasions, Paul, Saul, claimed that he saw Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he asks some rhetorical questions. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? He claims to have seen Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8, that passage that we've been looking at quite a bit lately, Paul says this, And last of all, he appeared to me, as to one abnormally born or born out of due season. In Acts chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, a few years later, after he had returned to Jerusalem, he was praying in the temple, he falls into a trance, and he sees the Lord speaking. So it wasn't just on the road to Damascus that the Lord appeared to Saul. He also appeared to him in this vision while Paul was in the temple in Acts chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. And finally, in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, when Paul is imprisoned, we're told by Luke 
that the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You see, Paul claimed that Jesus appeared to him, not just once, but several times. He had witnessed the resurrected Jesus. This is what he believed wholeheartedly. And his independence from the apostles is very important. The fact that Paul was a persecutor, the fact that he spent three years away from Jerusalem and didn't spend much time in that city for the remainder of his life is an important fact. You see, it makes him an independent witness to Jesus, one that has not been influenced by the other apostles. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, he talks about this very thing. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. No one could accuse Paul of receiving his gospel from the apostles because Paul had received it independent from them. He spent virtually no time around them. So without question, Paul's conversion on that road to Damascus is a convincing piece of evidence. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Saves. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find him on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know and do his perfect will. Dream.